Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Thanks everybody who's been listening to the Sunday editions, especially lately, as well as the normal Saturday edition. Especially the episode that was last week, which was, if you give me a second, because I don't remember, because it's been a long fucking week, that was the episode on... How do we relationship? I loved reading that manga, and I really loved having the opportunity to talk about it. And it just kind of... I took like a day to read it or something, and then I just did the show about it. It was really great. It worked out really well. And also thanks to everybody who listened, and is still listening to probably, the Sunday edition about assets Oh No, that, yep. The Sunday edition about assets. I'm all screwed up right now because, long story short, I haven't had power for like a day and a half. This podcast almost occurred on my cell phone, which is always a great thing to do when you don't want to do it. And when you have to worry about your battery life because the app I use to record this podcast can can eat some battery. I, I love it, but it can eat some battery. That said, this week we're going to be talking about a little show from... I think it was like... Uh, I think it was two, the 2018 season, and it was called Sarazan Mai. Now, for those of you who don't know about the man, the myth, the legend, that is Kunohiko Ikohara, I believe I've... I've done enough variants of this podcast, but I am pretty sure I've talked about him before, but I want to talk about him again, just because 
it makes a good primer for the kind of show you're going to walk into. If you're watching a Kunihiko Ikuhara show, to know what the dude's kind of about and the, and the things he tends to be interested in when he makes his shows. So, he is probably most well known for a show called Revolutionary Girl Utena. And after that, I would say he's most well known for a show called... He, I believe he directed a bunch of episodes of Sailor Moon, actually. But, um... Basically, Ikuhara... He wants to make shows that are concerned with primarily a lens about atypical sexuality. What I mean by that is not abnormal, just the sexuality that falls in generally the minority. Meaning not cisgender, heterosexual, male-leaning, um, attra- uh, heterosexual attraction is the way I would put it. And oftentimes he deals with Yuri, with explicitly lesbian, because I want to make it clear that Yuri and and Yuri storytelling and lesbian relationship storytelling can be really different. I talked about that a little bit in the episode about how do we relationship, but Ikuhara is interested in exploring in just exploring sexuality and having the kind of supportive conversations about sexuality that you don't get often in that, that you don't get often in media well you, you, you or if you do it's explicitly called it's like called out as an attention piece and in a previous show called um, Yurikuma Arashi that he directed, it was very much about it's okay to be gay, it's not the end of the world. In um, this show, Sarazanmai, the thing is, the thing is dripping with with this homosexual energy. It just is. The whole show is about fucking battle animus. And if you're like, what? Battle? Huh? Battle animus? What? Are you, are you sure that's what you mean? And I, I, will, I will say up front, yes, that is exactly what I mean. But... Kurohiko Ikuhara likes to traffic in metaphor, oftentimes. So, um, I'm just gonna straight up go for it. I believe I've done an episode on Moral Penguin Drum that you can find in the, um, podcast feed, in whatever you're using to listen to me right now, but even if I haven't, spoiler alert for Moral Penguin Drum. That show ends up being about 
the daughter, the two sons and daughter of member of high-ranking members of a actual cult in Japan called Om Shinrikyo. And if you don't know about Om Shinrikyo, I highly recommend my friend Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Um, actually recommended that I listen to the three episodes three episodes about Om Shinrikyo from um, last podcast on the left. They covered it a long time ago, but you can go you can go find that wherever you're listening to me. But um, basically, Om Shinrikyo was a death cult in Japan in the like late 80s, early 90s area around there. And they they ended up they ended up basically sarin gassing the Tokyo subway, a, a Tokyo subway line, like the major, like they they gassed I think the Circle line. They they fucking fuck some shit up, and this entire the entirety of Moral Penguin Drum is like working up to that, and you are seeing this girl and her brother's lives and everything, all the trappings around that, around those characters are about allowing those characters to have some kind of emotional expression that they probably wouldn't have otherwise. And the, that kind of the best premise I can use for Sarazanmai, because Sarazanmai is about ostensibly three adolescent boys dealing with their past, or dealing with the traumas of their past, or dealing with the realities of their own feelings over an eleven-episode over an eleven-episode arc. And the way they do that is they encounter this, like, creepy white kappa who... He... eats their ass and then, like, crafts them out as tiny kappa people and they fight a giant Amazon Prime box-headed... Dude, by cramming stuff in his butt and making him O face and dying. And the, that, the, so that, that is a lot. That is a lot. Uh, that, that is a lot to take in. And you gotta remember, this is the, same director who his previous shows were involved a enchanted penguin hat that's more penguin drum a whole scene where all the characters turn into race cars that's um revolutionary girl utena and finally last but not least the the show where lesbians are actual bears 
and they can't get found out by other girls in this all-female society where the only males are also bears and judges of the rest of society. <laughs> like, it, this is the reason why I started out with a primer about Ikuhara and that diatribe into Penguin Drum is because there are certain directors who their work knowing about them and knowing about their style and approach has an additive effect to their work. Another director that this is true for is um, Hideki Anno, interestingly enough, widely believed, or probably widely known at this point, to have been a former member of Om Shinrikyo, which is like a thing, because him and Ikuhara absolutely know each other. But the... The thing about many directors who were knowing about their work is, has an additive effect is they very rarely have a very wide range in their work and they very rarely, especially in anime, very rarely is their work coming out such a, like, moment in anime. So, so like, take Studio Ghibli, for example. Studio Ghibli has released some amazing films. Studio Ghibli has also re released some absolute snorefests. Whereas, Ikuhara, every time he released the show, it is at the very least probably the most interesting show of that season. That is true of Utena, that is true of Penguin Drum, that is true of Yurikuma, and it's also true of Sarazan Mai. Because he by choosing to deal pretty directly but but by choosing to make the allegory really absolutely ultra clear he chooses to allow the allow the viewer to be able to parse it and be able to understand it like in the first episode. You watch the first episode of Yurikuma, you're like, oh bears are standing for lesbians. That's how this is going. Okay. And uh, Something like, um, I think his slowest burn, quote-unquote, is actually Penguin Drum, because that builds up to everything, and the parents are, like, so conspicuously absent constantly, but clearly exist, that it, it takes a while for that show to build to the point where you're like, oh, shit, their parents are domestic terrorists. This got weird. Um, and I would say... In terms of the, like, scope of his shows, like, what he wants to think about, Penguin Drum is probably his most, um, wide-ranging thing. I mean, the child broil is in there, the Om Shinrikyo angle, there's, like, 
an angle about like obsession and romance and all kinds of stuff in that show. Um, it's also probably has probably has the most stable plot structure of a lot of his shows, actually. But the thing about Sarah Zanmai is because it came out in 2018, it has this quality that Ikuhara shows do get whenever one comes out in the year that it comes out in. It brings Ikuhara forward into that era of anime, if that makes any sense. Because here is a guy who his design, like the character design sense he has often is best translated to 1990s very clamp feeling very Sailor Moon ref- reminiscent designs. And Sarah Zanmai is probably the f- show where I would say it has the most... It has the least... Bishojo and... Bishojo like, slightly bigger hands, giant eyes feeling of the whole show. And the reason for that is because it, it feels like a... Um, it feels like a modern show. So, the things they deal, the things these middle schoolers deal with range from, like, a, you know, criminal element in their past to their own sexuality and everything in between. And like I said, they do this by... A comp by like giving giant Amazon Prime box monsters animas, and it it, it so there's a the, what I will say is there is this effect that can be achieved with repetition over time, and. Sarah Zanmai works with that repetition really well in that whenever these, one of these characters ends up having a crisis, whenever one of the three young bo- middle school boys ends up having a crisis, and the boys are Kurazaki, Yusaka, Toji Kuji, K- Toi Kuji, and Enta. Jinai, which I should be better at pronouncing. Um, but whenever any of these three boys have a crisis, they have to do battle against this giant, like, Amazon anima monster thing. And they turn into these little kappas because they are um, swallowed by the big, by the, like, weird, their weird kappa daddy. And... You also have the best character in the shows, the the Otter Cops, who are amazingly homoerotic, and they just they represent this kind of establishment of like this kind. They represent the same thing that Medical Mechanica represents almost in FLCL, and this 
show has a very FLCL vibe, actually, in that it is about kind of breaking down these young middle school age kids and demanding that they rebuild themselves over the process of each episode you watch. But I forgot to mention something to you, and I want to mention to you mention it to you at this point. Iguhara's shows generally end up on what's called the Noitamina block, which is animation spelled backwards. But the Noitamina block is where lots of super experimental anime go to thrive, go and thrive because it's so. To give you an idea, um, Honey and Clover was on Noitamina. Um, any basically, as a good rule of thumb, anything that you see on Amazon Prime, as an exclusive, is a Noitamina show. Um, Vinland Saga was. Um, like I said, Honey and Clover was, but that was way back in the 90s. Um, Paradise Kiss, a show I've talked about in this podcast you can find in the, just in the list of shows, was a Noitamina show. Um, I believe that Nana was as well. So, these shows are generally seen as experimental. They're usually aimed to a much older audience, generally, definitely adults. And the reason you haven't seen Noitamina shows play on something like Funimation or Crunchyroll or even, um, uh, what's it called? Discotech thing. Um, High Dive. Is because Amazon signed... As part of Amazon's attempt to make an anime streaming service when they made Anime Strike, and this is, I, I swear this is important, I'll get to it. Maybe you've already figured it out. <laughs> but as part of their attempt to make Anime Strike, they went out and instead of signing individual shows, they said, hey, we're Amazon. We have fucking Amazon money. Why don't we just sign a whole programming block. And so they did. And this is one of the earlier shows that came out in, of that. They came out during that deal. And the entire show is like shitting on Amazon. <laughs> because the primary like evil corporation in the show is is a stand-in for Amazon. It's like Amazon spelled funky, like Amazon spelled with two M's or something. Um, but it it seems it it gives the show this very anti-consumerist bend to it that I super love, and I also love the Kunihiko Ikuhara was like. I don't see a problem with shitting on the people who bought the programming block that aired most of my stuff. That seems like a good idea to me. And it's just, it, it's really, it's really just, it, it, it is a weirdly ballsy flex for no reason on the same, for no reason that if retaliated against 
would have felt the same, would have felt really shitty on behalf of Amazon, but I, I just, I love that, like, the show is 100% Amazon can never and will never make your dreams come true. Stop buying shit, you idiot. And it is playing on Amazon Prime. It, it absolutely did. I watched at least a couple episodes there. And it... It has the same feel to it that if you've ever watched um, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, you, you get from John Oliver whenever the passing concept of telecoms comes up, he, like, stares directly in the camera and tells AT&T to go fuck themselves. And <laughs> because AT&T owns, owns Time Warner, which owns HBO, so he just, like, fucking drags them through the mud, like, sometimes once an episode, sometimes once every couple weeks, whatever he really feels like. It is John Oliver's equivalent of picking a fight with fucking Arby's, like his old boss, John Stewart, did on The Daily Show for no reason. But... That, that, I'm sorry I'm struggling to talk about this show. It's just that it's so... And this is true for all the Ikuhara shows. Once again, why I started with a kind of Ikuhara primer. is His shows can get really dense. And really... Not just visually dense, but conceptually dense. And they can deal with a lot of things that are very pertinent to the time they came out in and also pertinent to, like, going forward in the future. And it's hard to talk about them because you have to catalog them in your head and you have to say, okay, I want to talk about the, like, anti-consumerist message in Sarazan Mai. Like, that's the goal I want to talk about. Well, I want to talk about the fact that what that the first that the first arc of this show is all about one of the characters coming to grips with the fact that he is get that he that he is gay, and I, there's plenty to talk about in both of those senses, and I am obviously more qualified to talk about one than I am the other. But I find it really interesting that he, that in Sarazanmai, Ikuharo made this thing in, like, I think it was actually, let me double check the year. Um, it was made in, it was made, it, it's actually in spring 2019. And it, it was, it's this, His shows have, the, and I said this before, his shows have this quality of, like, every time they come out, they're the most interesting thing in each 
in whatever season they're in. But the other thing is, is that because he takes such big swings, he doesn't always knock the ball out of the park, and it doesn't always, like, it doesn't always go anywhere, <laughs> that makes any sense. Like, it's very clear that he wants to have certain conversations about certain things in World Penguin Drum, but some of the ideas just don't go anywhere particularly interesting or important. <laughs> And especially once you get to, oh, the the main character's parents are terrorists, it becomes this very different story, for obvious reasons. But he has this Artorness to him, but he he doesn't have the same like floating ego cloud around him necessarily that somebody like um Miyazaki does certainly or Hideki Anno does uh, Anno's like presence when, when Anno directs something his presence is so like it's like it's, his stuff feels like him if that makes any sense Ikuhara, because he's directed, he's proven he can direct stuff like Sailor Moon, and then he goes off and he makes something like Revolution and Girl Utena, and then all the other stuff I've mentioned of his catalog. He is like, he's like this a marketable artor who is capable of making things that are truly profound and interesting and head-scratching and make you think, like Sarah Zanmai, but then he's also, you also know he's fully capable of turning around and, like, if someone said, we'd like you to make a music video, he would be capable of doing it, whether or not he would agree is, is of course, always the question, but you've no doubt that he'd be capable of doing, of doing it. Whereas... Somebody like, a director like Anno has a much narrower viewpoint and capacity for creation sometimes. I'm not saying that he couldn't make things that are much lighter. He made, um, Nadia the Secret of Blue Water, which apparently is, that's the thing that broke him, so, mm. But, Anno's creation has, Anno's singular creation of Evangelion has so overwhelmed his career that he has no way out of it, basically. He's gonna keep making even Ava shit. He's just gonna do it. A large part of that is because Studio G Gainax are jackasses and it licensed that property out to every Tom, Dick, and Harry that wanted to put Ray Ayanami on the side of a perfume bottle. But... I... Seeing what I've seen of the um, Rebuild movie... He is clearly constantly reinterpreting this one storyline and expanding it and contracting it in really interesting ways. And having seen um, End of Ava, which is a movie which I've talked about on this podcast before, you can find it in the previous episodes, which is a movie that is just built to hate the person watching it. It is a movie that is angry at you 
for buying a ticket. <laughs> it's amazing. I've I've never seen I've never really seen anything like it. Ikuhara is much more readily, clearly looking at the world and saying and trying to interpret it and trying to have a conversation about it. He's trying to have a conversation about acceptance of sexuality. He's trying to have conversations about acceptance of, of people with disabilities. He's trying to have a, he's trying to have a serious conversation with the viewers through allegory and through um and through storytelling. And it, another thing that he's trying to do is he's trying to and it, and this is true of lots of anime directors. He's got a very the kids the kids are all right but the but I don't know about the adults they seem shitty. <laughs> Bend to him. And that's, that's true of a lot of anime directors. A lot of anime directors are straight up like, ah, maybe adults are fucked. Maybe we fucked up too hard. And maybe the kids, we should just like, hand it over to all the 15-year-olds of the world and they've fixed shit. And I totally appreciate that. Even as a now 30-something, I totally fucking appreciate that concept. And Sarah's on my, in its second character, and it's in its second character, um, Kuji, definitely, you definitely feel this, like, there's this feeling that the adults in his life have fucked him over. <laughs> massively fucked him over and he he has this like dark deep seedy thing going on and I you you see it and you're just like dude like man your older brother and your like whole adult like all the adults in your life really fucking screwed you over dude because you will never be able to have a normal, like, adolescence ever again because your dumbass brother dragged you into some shit and, spoiler alert, made you shoot a guy to death. And now you just have to live with that. Like, you just have to fucking live with that universe. And that's the other thing that Ikaro does really well in this show, but all, he also does exceedingly well in all of his shows. It's that there's this his great command over the tone of every single scene. He can make a scene in really dark and grim and turn around and make the next scene really light and fluffy and happy and jokey. And it, because he's so committed to his own style and his shows, it had the same kind of dripping with his style that every that Anno does, but it it feels more. Let me put it this way: If you ever seen Shin Godzilla, Anno uses final battle in Shin Godzilla. He uses an Ava track in a non-Ava thing. 
granted, it worked. It was the right thematic choice. But come up with a new music track, even if people love Final, like, I think it's called Final Battle. Even if people love that track, that's not a reason to put it in a completely unrelated freaking thing. That is the, like, equivalent of, let's take the theme song from Attack on Titan and put it on, what's that, what's the Train Titan show? Um, that was on Amazon. Fuck, done by Studio Wit. And, and and put it on the train and put it on the train zombie show that the thing that is a lot of the same kind of stuff done by the same studio just not at all fucking similar to not at all related to Attack on Titan. And the but so to make the other comparison I Another quote-unquote Artur director would probably be, um, what's his face, um, Hayao Miyazaki. And the thing about Hayao Miyazaki's movies and Studio Ghibli movies in general is that they all have this, they all have this very similar aesthetic and similar treatment to the way, like, glass always looks, glass windows always look the same in Studio Ghibli movies. You, You know, like, Metal constructed objects all have the same kind of feel in Studio Ghibli movies, but that more rigid control and expression of that studio style than it is any, anything else. Because you look at something like um, fuck, um, you look at something like from Up on Poppy Hill, and then you go and you look at something like Spirit Away. And the windows in Spirit Away, and the windows in... This is very nerdy, I know. In... From Up on Poppy Hill, are... Have a lot of the same animations. Animated quality to them. They look like this, like, glassine, almost plasticky... The shines are all in the same places in both of the... In both movies. But those are so drastically different and they're done by very different teams and directors and all that shit that you you don't even think you think oh studio ghibli studio ghibli nothing else <laughs> whereas ikuhara whenever he has a show there's stuff that feels the same there there are design elements and animation elements that feel similar. When you watch an Ikahara show, you know you're watching one. But they don't... It doesn't feel so similar that it feels always like it was done by the same studio being just like mindlessly consuming animator talent and spitting out and bending it to its will. Ikuhara feels like a director who, when he works with, who, whenever he works with a studio, because directors go from studio to studio lots of times, he attaches his, 
his visual style and his vision onto that studio style. Because if you look at Sarazanmai, it feels like an Ikuhara show. Like, the, the way it looks feels like an Ikuhara show. But it also feels like a modern take on it. It doesn't feel the way, say, um, Yurikuma Arashi does. Because if you go and you look at art from Yurikuma, you'll see that it has a very Bishoujo 1990s, early, early 2000s bend to the design choices and the framing and all that stuff. And that's because that's the kind of story it wants to tell. This is a story about, very much about a world, a, like, a world that we live in right now. Whereas Yurikuma was, like, a totally separate thing and was very focused and having a very specific conversation about these characters and their relationships. Whereas Serazanmai is having multiple conversations about all these different things. It's having conversations about the police. It's having conversations about, you know, adolescence. It's having conversations about how adolescents feel about the things they've done in their past and how they feel about their own feelings towards each other and, you know, romantic feelings towards each other and discovering their own sexuality. And if you've... If you've never seen a... Ikuhara show I would actually say you can start with Serazanmai you'll encounter some other crazy ass things in some of the other in the other shows but Serazanmai like if you sit through episode Serazanmai and you're like that, nope this is for me then I would definitely watch a lot of other Ikuhara shows and you'll know them when you see them trust me but if you wanted a great jumping off point, a jumping on point, what I would suggest is that you watch Penguin Drum first, because Penguin Drum has a lot of the Kunohiko Ikahara stuff in it. And then I would watch Sharadan Mai, because it's, probably, it's the, certainly the most recent one. And you'll see what I'm talking about. You'll see that he has this fascination with sexuality. He has this fascination with depictions of love and depictions of self and depictions of, and, like, the need of the young to separate themselves from their predecessors because their predecessors may be destroying them. So, yeah, I... I hope I did... I hope I did this show justice because it's it's a complicated show with a lot of stuff in it especially for 11 episodes and it it has this like visual overload to it that especially when you're trying to read subtitles can make you just make you miss stuff it has this almost um, bakemonogatari quality to it that makes it hard to talk about. And if you w go and watch it, you can watch it on Crunchyroll right now. Um, you'll be like, oh, this is what he means. Okay. Whoa. 
And, but I think it's worth watching because it is, it, it gives really honest, it gives, Sarah Donmai feels like it, it, it feels like it is, an, it is a manga made directly from the, it is an anime made directly from its manga, basically. I don't even know that, I think Sarazamai doesn't even have a manga. But the reason why I say that is because, and this is true of a lot of Noitamina shows, it's not concerned with toning anything down because of who might be watching it. In fact, that's why it wants to tone things, why it wants to amp things up. Because of that fact. Because. And I thought about this a lot with, um, actually, how do we relationship? It. Telling a story like how do we relationship in anime form would be odd. Because there wouldn't be many people. It would, it would be hard to know how big of an audience that had, unless it was on something like Noitamina and really well promoted. Because anime is an inherently more expensive medium than manga is. So if you're going to make a manga, if you're going to turn something into an anime, even if you love the story, there's a tendency to want to bend anime stories into at least the niche they can fit into, if not a much broader audience. And once you, and you see this, you kind of see this in um, My Hero Academia, the front part of, the front-loaded part of My Hero Academia is much more general audience than the part where you get to, like, stain and all the, like, really dark, weird society stuff. And, um, the last arc they had with the, like, villain who is, ju who is, like, a, a YouTube star. <laughs> but, or an aspiring, or an attempted, or an attempted YouTube star. But the, the part they front-loaded was the mass market stuff. So once they, once they had the giant mass of fans, it didn't matter if, like, a couple hundred here, a couple hundred there just fell off for a season because they would inevitably come back and they had built up that trust to make a show where they could do big weird shit if they wanted to, if that was the plan. But Sarah Zanmai feels like they definitely put out a trailer they promoted the shit out of it, probably, but they were also like, look, this is the story we're telling. If you're not into this story, fine. And that is... That's a really good feeling. <laughs> because it... I'm not saying this thing needs to... I'm not saying that more things need to be like Crash. And before you ask, no. Not the motion... Not the Academy Award-winning motion picture... Starring like Don Cheadle and um, what's and um, what's his face and the and the that one rapper, damn it, I forget his name, and and Ludacris. I mean, the weird fucking 
Spanish movie that you can go find on HBO that's about literally violating people's wounds. I'm not saying that I want more of that kind of shit. But what I am saying is that that kind of, like, that kind of, like, we twisted the cap all the way off this crazy and just let it go for, like, probably a little too long. <laughs> also allows you to get things like many of the Ikuhara shows you've seen. And because they're not trying to dumb it down, they're not trying to, like... And Ikuhara is such an established present, you don't get happening to Ikuhara what happened to Monglobe when they were making Gangsta. Gangsta was this attempt at a, like, Black Lagoon-style show with a lot of, like, sci-fi, you know, pharmaceutical mystery element. But... It, it just wasn't handled well enough, quick enough, and it, it all fucking fell apart and put Mongolob out of business. So, uh, if you're into weird stuff and you like watching visual spectacles, a, if for no other reason than the ending, than the ending, complete with the ending theme of this show, go watch Sarazon Mai. If you're interested in questions about sexuality, you know, adolescent place in the world, that kind of stuff, go watch the show. It, it's, interesting, it's interesting enough, and it sticks its neck out enough, that even if it doesn't connect all the time, I, you'll still feel like you get the wind hit, hit, knocked out of you at least once watching this thing. And it, I, I just thought I would share it. So, if you like this episode, you can find more of this podcast by subscribing in whatever you're using to listen to me right now. And I have been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio, and episodes come out every Sunday. I do, like, a much more metatextual, like, industry or fandom show that's a lot shorter than this. And every Thursday and every late Thursday I do a show like this where I talk about one show or movie. So keep a lookout in the feed for both of those. But until Thursday, I will talk to you then.